0: Be on the screen, but we are. Hey, y'all, wait for Parker. (laughs) Got her covered. All right, Proverbs chapter 9, and I want to read verses 1 through 6 for us this morning. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Hey, if you don't use your Bibles for your Bibles, those things are heavy. You can lift weights for them. They're so heavy. I know, right? Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. you got to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Those, those things really are heavy. All right, Proverbs chapter 9, the first six verses. You will find these similar words. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who likes sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have met. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Father, I pray that you would use your word to speak in, not just to our graduates' hearts, Lord, but to all of our hearts. Lord, to make us more like Christ, to make us wise, Lord, according to your word. And so, Lord, would you take your word and implant it into our hearts and our minds. Give us spiritual eyes here, not just physical eyes, but spiritual eyes, that we might be able to see its truth us. And may, it be, may we be changed by it, God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. We've been in a, um, a study in the book of Proverbs for uh, just about the entire year thus far and some of you will say amen but today will be the last message that I preach out of the book of Proverbs and it's really there's not a more appropriate passage I believe that I could share on an occasion like today than this passage that we're looking at this morning and so we, when we if you were to go back and you were to read Proverbs chapter 4 and if you can remember I know none of you do but if you could remember 2 or 3 months ago when I taught Out of Proverbs chapter four, the Proverbs chapter four really say there's two paths that you have in life. Okay, when, when people graduate high school, we, we we tend to say, "Hey, there's if you're going to go this way, you're going to go this way, you're going to do this, or you're going to do that." But the Bible says there's really only two paths in life. It's the way of wisdom that leads to life, or it's the way of uh, of foolishness that's going to lead to death. One path will end up in heaven, and one path will end up in hell. And so, really, at the end of the day what the Scriptures teach is that there's only two paths in life. And then what we have in our text this morning is at the very beginning of Proverbs chapter 9, we have this lady. It's lady wisdom that she's calling out. She's she's done some things, and she's saying, hey, if you're simple and and you need some direction, turn in here. But we're also going to look at the last six verses of this chapter because there's a lady there... Call her folly, lady of foolishness. She's also, she's, she's got a house, and she's saying the same thing. Why don't you guys turn in here? And so if you take these two paths in life, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness, there's people that are going to be out there. There's wisdom and, and intellect that's going to be out there to say that you need to turn down this path. And here's the thing. I've never met a single person in my life who said, I want to take the foolish path. You know, you just don't you don't find people like that. You don't find people who say, you know what, I want to grow up and live in my parents' basement and sleep till twelve and get up and play video games all day. You don't find people like that. People and, they, and even if they do that, that's not really what they wanted to do in their life. I mean, people just don't just don't grow up and say, I don't want I want to be a nobody for the rest of my life. Right? I mean, there you have dreams, you have aspirations, there are things that we want to accomplish in our lives. Now, here's the thing. Even though nobody says, hey, I want to grow up and be a nobody, I don't want to grow up and be foolish, I want you to catch this. Most people, most people grow up and take the way of foolishness. You say, well, Pastor, why is that? Because unless you are intentional about choosing the path of wisdom for your life, the default route is for you to go the way of foolishness. You say, well, why is that? Sin. The lure of sin and the struggles that you face in your flesh will always cause you the default mode to go the way of foolishness. And so if you're not intentional in choosing the way of wisdom, by default, you'll go the other way. And here's what I want to do in my, in my time together this morning. In the first six verses, really what you find is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, I've said this from the very beginning, the first sermon I ever preached out of the the book of Proverbs, and I, I think I say it just about every week, and so I'll say it one more time, and maybe somebody will catch this. If you want to see a picture of wisdom, in the New Testament, the Scripture says that Jesus Christ literally is the wisdom of God. And so really what we're looking at, when we think about the wisdom of God, we're thinking about Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that's going to, I hate to use the word motivate, or compel us to choose the path of wisdom, it would be Jesus Christ. And thinking about what he has done for us in his life. And so in the first six verses, I want to show you two things about the love of Jesus Christ as it relates to why we should choose the path of wisdom. Number one. First of all, the love of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, it shows that he has made a tremendous sacrifice for us. Now, verse 1 says, now notice what the text says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out, she has carved out her seven pillars. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment. It's very, we could go around our community here in Bethel, and we could find numerous houses, that have columns and pillars out front, could we not? I mean, you can think about people who have nice big houses like that, but it's not that way in the in the in the time in which Proverbs chapter nine was written. You know, who had big houses with carved out pillars in them? Wealthy people. Very few people in that culture would have had homes like that. And if you did have a home like that, that meant that you you made a considerable amount of sacrifice. You you made a considerable investment in this home in order for you to have this type of house and so she's got this big house and and she's got these large pillars she's made a sacrifice to give this verse 2 she's got something to offer you she's slaughtered her beast she's mixed her wine she has set her table before you and so in other words she's got this big feast in this big house that she wants to give and it's important that it's large because if you look at verse 4 she makes an appeal whoever is simple now, that's those who are just kind of meandering. Y'all understand that country word, meandering? Are y'all with me? They're just kind of flowing through life. You're just kind of walking and not really paying attention. You're just kind of walking through life. And, and hey, every single one of us find ourselves here at some point. Okay? It's not just graduates. Whoever's simple, whoever's you know, not wise in their own eyes, it's him who likes sense. We've all been there at some point in time in our in our lives. You may be there this morning. And so she's calling now. She sends out her messengers in verse 3. Hey, if you're simple, if you're lacking sense, then turn this way. I've got I've made a tremendous sacrifice to be able to give you something in your life that's going to help you in the path of life. I don't know if you guys think about this or if you, you make the connect to God, but that's a picture of Jesus Christ for us. Amen? I mean, think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. On the cross, He gave His life for people like you and me. Now, did you? I'm, I use that word intentionally. He gave it. The Romans didn't take the life of Jesus from Him. The Jews didn't take His life. He willingly gave His life for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed. Why? Because it was the only way our sin could properly be dealt with. It was the only way that we could ever have a chance of being forgiving and, and having the power of sin broken in our own life. You know, I hear this question sometimes. A lot of, time, a lot of skeptics, a lot of those who question uh, whether or not Christianity is true, will ask this question. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, couldn't God have given us some other way? And, and I understand the question. I really do. I understand the, kind of the heartbeat behind what they're asking. But when you ask that question, guys, you miss the biggest part of what you're saying. I mean, if you're asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? Let's not ask the question. Let's just focus on the very fact that Jesus did die for us. Let's remember that this is God in the flesh saying, I love you so much that while you do the things that break my heart, I'm going to die a death that you deserve to die. Don't get over that fact that it's kind of like, Anybody like steak in here? I'm a a huge fan. somebody say amen? You had not said amen yet, so maybe that's a good place to say amen. I love steak. And it would be like somebody sitting down a 16-ounce ribeye. I like ribeye. Sitting out, amen. Somebody putting a 16-ounce ribeye in front of me and be like, why'd that cow have to die? Eat the steak, right? Eat the steak, enjoy it. We ask these questions, why did Jesus have to die? Don't focus on the question, focus on the fact that He did. And that if you'll put your faith and you'll put your hope and you'll put your trust in Him, His death will do something great in your life. So that's what He did. He died on a cross for us. And He calls out, just like verse 3, He has the messengers that call out. He sends preachers, He sends teachers, He sends parents. He sends friends and grandparents and aunts and uncles into our lives telling us this great message of salvation. And and we're not going out proclaiming something that's all of our own. We're going out proclaiming the message of what he says. And here's what he says. Hey, if you're overwhelmed, come to me. You're struggling in your sin? Come to me. If you really want to experience life and you really want to have wisdom, then come to me. Me and he goes out everywhere and he says, Turn here, come this way, don't go that way. So he's made this tremendous sacrifice. But he, he, number two, you also see it, you see the love of Jesus and what he has provided for us. I, I mentioned verse two just a moment ago. You see it? This sacrifice that, that wisdom has made, it also speaks of provision. She's slaughtered her beasts, she's mixed her wine she's got this table that is set up for you and so when you get down to verse 5 she says come eat of my bread drink of the wine but come to this feast that i have fixed for you she's she's willing to take good care of you everything that you have in your life I mean it's a, it's a picture catch this it's not only a picture of them making of wisdom making provisions for you it's wisdom it's it's giving you great things in life I mean this is not just bread and water I mean you've heard the proverbial, when you go to prison, you just kind of get bread and water enough just to keep you alive, right? This is not bread and water. I mean, this is wine. This is the steak. This is the... They probably didn't eat pig back then, but man, this, for us, I mean, it would be pig. These were people that would be having a good feast. You see, when, when we get down to Lady Folly in just a minute, Lady Foolishness, she don't offer you that. She offers you cheap thrills that's going to satisfy you just for a moment, just you through to the next phase, But Jesus has given you something in provision to help you be successful in life. I want you to catch this. Jesus doesn't provide just wisdom to make to get us kind of just meander through life. He provides wisdom to help us thrive. That's why over and over again in the scriptures, the Bible describes describes success vastly different than what he describes. Hey, when before he walked across the stage and they said he's still thinking about it, you know what I told him? Probably the best decision it Really is. It's a great decision. You know why? How many of you, when you were 18 years old, knew that you wanted to be the rest of your life? But for us, we define success, man. You've got to go to college, you've got to get a, so you get a good education, so you can get a good job, make lots of money, and retire one day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but does Jesus define success that way? He really doesn't. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Uh, Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who, who meditates on the words day and night. He's going to be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. And it's it's, it's going to yield its fruit in its season. And its leaves not going to wither, and all that he does, it's going to prosper. You know what the Bible describes as success? The degree to which you have been faithful to do that which God's called you to do. And if He hadn't called you to go to college, then don't go to college. But I have two sisters that are 19 years old. They have to be their dads. They both graduated high school this year, just like you guys did. One, they've already walked. I've had to go to South Carolina twice in the past. So of a love off of the money. in one of their cards I wrote something very similar to this See, I wrote it let me I wrote it down twice. here's what I wrote success is determined not by the by the degrees that you have, but the degree to which you have faithfully to do that is God. What does He say? in that which God calls you to do. So I hope and I pray that the love of a Savior will help you to define success in this way. Now here's the deal. There's also the of Savior also this, this idea that as you're seeking to, to walk in the way of wisdom, Satan is out there. He's wanting to, to steal. He's wanting to kill. He's wanting to destroy you. He's wanting to, to rob God of the glory that you and I should give unto Him. So when you get down to the last six verses, and you get down to, to verse 13, you see it very clearly. Now, what you find is everything that God offers you, Satan offers you accountable Lady folly, lady foolishness. She offers you a house, but it's not a house that she has built. It's not a house that she has sacrificed for. It's not a house that she has prepared for. She just has a house. It's one that God gave her when she was kicked out of heaven for trying to rob God of His glory. And now she wants you to follow her and to keep God from getting glory. And for your life to end in destruction. And so she's loud. She wants you to. She's sitting at the door of her house, getting you to turn in that way. Just like, just like God sends out messengers trying to get you to follow His way. Satan's got some messengers as well, and saying, "Hey, turn in, turn into my way. Don't go that way. Turn this way." She's calling out to those who pass by. We mentioned this just a moment ago. But she doesn't have meat. She did not have the good stuff. She's got stolen water that is sweet. She's got bread for you, and so literally that's what that's the difference between the two. You, you want bread and wine, or you want water? I mean, you want meat and wine, or you want bread and water? You want the good stuff or the bad stuff? For everything that God offers, Satan will offer you a counter. Okay, and so as you read through these last six verses, two areas where we see Satan lures people away. Okay, number one. First of all, he, he uses sexual temptation to lure people away. Uh, for those who are visiting with us, don't worry. I'm not going to dive in here. We talked about it last week. It's the most uncomfortable message I've ever preached in my life, I think. And so, uh, but anyway, when you get to verse 13, she's loud. And the, and the scriptures say she's seductive. She she knows nothing. And so Solomon here, really what he's doing in Proverbs 9 is he's going back to what we looked at last week in Proverbs chapter. Speaking of this idea of seduction, in fact, you can go in just real quick. Proverbs five. Look at verse one. Uh, let's just do verse three. And follow. This woman, the lips of a forbidden woman, they drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her path, her steps, follow the path of Sheol. That's hell. She does not ponder the path of life her ways wander and she does not know it. It's a seductive woman. She's trying to get you off course to follow a path that's going to end up in your destruction. It's it's seductive. You don't wake up and think, you know what? I want to follow her. The Satan lures you. He knows where you're weak in your flesh. Tim Keller, a pastor I listen to quite a bit, he he pastors a, a Presbyterian church in New York City doing great ministry there. Very, very wise man when it comes to the Scriptures. There in, in New York City, oftentimes what he'll do is he'll have college freshmen come to his church, and man, they, they do really good for a season, but in, he said, it almost without fail, every semester he'll, he'll have people come and he'll say, Pastor Tim, I don't think I believe in God. I think I believe in the church. And he said, without exception, he'll, he'll ask this question: Who are you sleeping with? because here's here's what he finds. The average person who walks away from the faith doesn't walk away because they don't believe in God. They walk away because they've been lured away because of the sexual temptation in their life. And now they want to try to find a God that's going to match their ethical standards. It's the lure of the enemy. It attacks without discrimination. It will lure you away and you will follow the path of a seductive woman down into the pits of hell don't even know it. It's too late. That's what that's what the scriptures say in Proverbs nine. Look at verse eighteen. He doesn't know this the way of dead, but the way that the dead are there, that are cast in the depths of steel. This is in the first road he ever say. He's got a lot of skeletons in his palm. A lot of men and women that have followed him, said, the ended up. Don't 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 don't. kind of like this. How I many of you go fishing? Maybe you like this. Fish. Some of y'all better raise your hand. Feel what you better raise your hand. You're trying to catch a big fish. You're trying to catch a big rock fish. Or a bass. Don't you, know you do? You find something that's going to entice that fish to come and kind of bite your hook. And yeah, the prettier and the shinier and the, the better it is, Right? Get it to attack. That's what Satan does. He knows where you're weak. Johnny Hunt said it this way Well, how does Satan you know where I'm weak? Because you've advertised it. You put it out there. Satan, shh. Not, not, not. Don't fall into that trap. I, I can't stress it enough. I don't know to say it. Don't fall into that trap. Number two, he uses the lure of money. You see in verse 17. It speaks of stolen water, bread eaten secret. It speaks of corrupt money, wealth that is gained by conspiracies or unethically. Uh, Here's what we tell people. Get, Get wealth at all costs in this world, but there are some things that money simply cannot buy in your life. How about this? Think about this. Don't destroy your walk with Jesus and your credibility with others just to get a paycheck. Don't risk your family and time with your family just to make a few extra dollars. Those things are not Satan is out there, man. He wants to tempt you. He, he'll tell you to get a job and to do this and to do that. Sometimes those things just don't work, guys. Money will never buy you out. Money will never give you God's children. Those things are primary in your life. You make those things primary in your life. You, you make them the most important things in your life. No things. And so, are you with me? You've got the love of Jesus and you've got the Lord of Satan. Both are going to try to compel you to follow this way, this path, that you're going to choose, every single one of us. we are going to choose the way of wisdom or you're going to choose the way of foolishness? The question is, and I don't know any other way to say it, which path are you going to choose? What does choosing Jesus look like? Let's talk about that here. Right? Now, didn't we say nobody nobody wants to choose the path of fools, right? We, we, we said that. So let's just talk just for a second. What does choosing the path of wisdom, what does choosing the path of Jesus look like? Let's see if we can't maybe give a picture of what that looks like. just a Well, first of all, we would say this. You've got to leave the ways of the simple. Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him we like a sense. Come, eat of my bread. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. so if you're walking one way, it's not so much, we say this all the time, or I, or I say it, you know, the word repentance, it's a church word, we, we don't use that in everyday conversation, but the word repentance literally means to do an about face. If you're in the military, you understand that term. It's to be walking one way and you turn and walk in a 180 degrees in a different direction. But now here's what we say. You turn from your sin and you walk this way. Let let me say it in a different different light this morning. It's not so much what you turn from, it's who you turn towards that makes a difference. There are some people that they know they're living in sin, they know they need to get the sin out of their life, and so they turn from that, but they don't turn towards Jesus. It does you no good, spiritually speaking, to turn from a sin if you don't turn. And follow Jesus. Are you guys with me? That, that's good sense. That's a good word. And so when we say lead to simple ways, it's not just about growing up and, and doing something. It's about walking in the way of wisdom. I mean, think about it. For heaven's sake, the man died on a cross for you. If he, you know, we asked the question earlier, why didn't God do something different? If he had done anything less, you would not appreciate it as much as you do this morning. Right? Those who make the biggest sacrifices are those that we tend to most. And so when we say leave this, we're saying not just leave that, but we're saying follow. Leave that, but follow Jesus with everything that you have. Number two, uh, verses 7 and 8 says scoffers. Now, if you read the word scoffer, I have uh, the ESV, English Standard Version. Here's another way of saying scoffer. Know-it-all. You ever met somebody who's a know-it-all? know-it-all. They're full of pride. They think they know everything. Uh, Anytime you say, well, let me me tell you this thing. You know, if you're a know-it-all full of pride, you can never be full of pride and follow Jesus. Because either Jesus is going to be Lord of your life, or you are, but you both cannot be that. And so Jesus is saying, scoffers, those who know-it-all, those who think they have need of nothing in their life, you can't follow me. I didn't say it. That's what he said. Okay? Never put your hope in Jesus if, if you never see this great sacrifice that you've made. If you're not willing to humbly submit to Jesus, you never follow Him. Never. Finally, I'll say this. number verse 10. Following Jesus begins with fearing the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, when I use this word fear, I'm not thinking about a, a, you know, a five-year-old being in fear of his daddy. A lot of times we get this idea in our head. Man, I, I'm going to fear God. I've got to. and I really be shaking in my boots? And then there's an element where we're scared, I and mean, God's God, gone, right. But it speaks more to this idea of a healthy respect, the way maybe a 30-year or 40-year-old is is his mom and dad. because the way you respect your parents between a 15-year-old and a 35-year-old, that's different. So that's why he's saying there, there's a healthy respect, there's a healthy fear. Of God. So I, 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 I'm afraid. And so I, I'm going to respect Him. I'm going to give Him honor. I'm going to give Him glory. If, if you never fear the Lord, you never fear consequences, there's a good chance you'll never turn and follow Jesus. I want to close with this verse. Put me on the screen. Proverbs 16, verse 3. I, I've read this verse many times. I've never understood To the Lord, and your plan will be established. Pray, you know how I've always taken that verse. Just be honest. Man, if I commit my work to the Lord, the plans I have in my heart, what I want to see accomplished. So, I've always taken, if I commit my work to the Lord, that, that which God's called me to do, and He's going to let me. Here's what God is saying. Commit your actions. Commit your life. To me. Commit your deeds to me. Your plans. I'm going to establish. I'm going to give you life. It may or may not be. yeah says, if you'll make this choice, surrender your life to Jesus, and you say, you know what, I, I just really want my life to honor you. God says, I'm going to you. That'd be the. Case. If you don't commit your ways to me. You might, in the world's eyes. Jesus' name, thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for your word. It is so true. Lord, your word is. So true. We think about what it means to have success in life, have success in family, finances, friends, work, college. Lord, your word speaks to all of us. Good wisdom. Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that every person in this room today, that it would be a monumental day, Lord, where we say, "Lord, today I commit my life." Lord, today I surrender my life to you, and Lord, I don't care where I go, I don't care what job I have, but Lord, today I just want to live a life. Lord, Lord help us at our works. Father, I pray that there's somebody in this room today that never surrendered their life to you. Father, as we think about this great love that Jesus has for us, the fact that he lived a sinless life and died a cruel death and was resurrected three days later for us, Lord, that would compel us to, to come and to fall and to worship. Say, Lord...